Hey, good afternoon now. Good to see all of you. And um, we had a wonderful uh, Easter last week and wanted to thank so many of you for doing so much and um, bringing friends and uh, making it such a wonderful time. And I wanted to thank, um, yeah, especially as you have given um, for, uh, you know, especially for our Love OC partners. We had such a response from them. Um, they were just overwhelmed. The four nonprofits that we decided to give to, and they they were just shocked that some of that that we brought so much and we gave so much to them. They enjoyed the worship services, and um, and so it was just a thrill to be able to bless them and the work that they're doing. And I wanted to thank all of you for doing all those things and for being here. And you know, we're starting a new series called Walking with God, and I I think. This is very important now, right? Um, in any relationship, it is the day in and day out stuff that matter. You know, in any relationship, it's not the events, it's not the planned big events, but it's the little things in life. It's the mundane things that we do every day: getting up and having breakfast, and doing the dishes, and um, you know, putting gas in the car, whatever it is. Just the little things that we do that make the relationship what it is. And in our relationship with God, often we think it is some kind of an event. Uh, many people approach it like it's some kind of an event that we go to or we experience and that's supposed to last us. Yeah, think about it. It's not the, the anniversary trip or the honeymoon or, or the weekend that we say that defines our relationship. Um, for any married couple, it's the day in and day out. It's everyday stuff. It's cleaning up together. It's going and buying groceries together. It's all those things. And that's true for our friends. That's true for our children. Um, and it's definitely true with God that it's an everyday affair. That we walk with God. That it's not the once a week high, I get to church. It's an event. Or it's, it was Easter. Or it was some kind of a conference or something. But it's an everyday occurrence. And walking with God is basic. It's very basic. You know, we're going to look at Deuteronomy um, today. And before we jump into our text, I want to highlight a little bit of the background that would help us to understand the depth and the gravity of what we just read in verse 12. Um, back in the days, in ancient uh, Asia, uh, there were these treaties that were used often. They were called the suzerain tra uh, treaties. The suzerains were, uh, it's not a word we use often, but it's someone who is in power, it's, so it would represent the, the nation, the king who is in power. And when they were going to overtake a smaller state, they would come up with a treaty. And they would say to them, here is the treaty, and they would both sign it. And this was used by governments and countries. This was gov used by uh, people and businesses. And the treaty was very common in the day. And we see here in our text um, that... Deuteronomy in itself was kind of a treaty that followed that common modern, uh, that, that modern day um, form. And Meredith Klein uh, writes about this and how Deuteronomy copies really this treaty. Now, the treaty includes four parts, according to him. Number one, there's an identification of who was the one in power, who was the suzerain, and who was now the vassal or the one who was receiving the goods. And so they would identify the two parties, like this is the giver, this is the receiver, and they would identify them. The second thing that they would do is they would identify how much that they received. 
How much did I give? What did I provide? I provided this and health and uh, protection from others and uh, whatever it is, they would identify it in the treaty. There are four parts. And the third part that they would um, say is all the stipulations. Since we're going to do this, you're going to do this. When harvest comes around, you're going to provide this amount. When we do this, you're going to give us this much. And the fourth part was the consequences. If you didn't, if you didn't keep your end of the bargain, these are the consequences. And this is kind of our modern day when we sign up for a credit card, when we sign up for a car loan. And really, we're, we're, all, we're bargaining uh, in this way with the banks and the credit unions. And we're saying, okay, I promise to make my payments. I promise to do these things. And you're going to now let me get this ahead of time. And, and we sign these here. Well, Deuteronomy is written in such a way. And before we get to chapter 10, verse 12, we see what happens with the treaty. The treaty that we know from God is called the Ten Commandments. And if you grew up watching any of the uh, Ten Commandments uh, uh, TV shows and so on, you know the picture of Moses coming down, and he's in, in the mountain for 40 days, and he comes down, and his people, what do they have there? They have the golden calf that's built, right? And it tells us in this passage that we're, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 16, we could turn there. And this is Moses speaking. He says, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourself, yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. Verse 17 says, and I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. Now, let's pause here. Moses is coming down. And it's 40 days in the mountain. The people get impatient and they now make their own idol. This is supposed to be God. They collect all the gold from the people. They make this golden calf, and they say, we're going to worship this golden calf. And when Moses comes down, he throws the two tablets, and he shatters the tablets. He literally breaks the law because they have broken the law. And so we see this happening. What happens in chapter 10, in Deuteronomy 10, is this. Um, 1 through 3, it says, at that time... The Lord said to me, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. Come up to me on the mountain and make an ark of wood, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets that you broke, and you shall put them in the ark. Now, so he says, come back, bring two more tablets, and I'm going to write the law back on it. I'm going to rewrite this treaty. I'm going to rewrite this now contract. I'm going to give you a second chance. This is what God is saying. And so when they had two tablets, it wasn't like they had five and five or four and six of the commandments. They would write all of the law on both because both parties would receive a copy each. And so one copy was supposed to be given to the one in power and the one who was not in power. And they're supposed to both have a copy. And they would put this in the ark when, we, uh, when they encountered God because the ark was a place that they would meet God. It was a place, a reminder of the law. And he says, this is it. So right now, in chapter 10, verse 12, we are at a position where we are receiving a second chance. We're receiving something we don't deserve. We're receiving grace. And this is the life of the Christian. We're receiving something we don't deserve. This isn't us going to the table saying, I'm going to bargain with God. God, look what I have to bring to you. What can you bring to me? Can we make a fair exchange? No, this is us saying, oh, I already messed up. We already broke the law, but I'm coming back. God, will you accept me? And isn't this really the testimony of our lives? Isn't this us wanting to come back to God, wondering, am I worthy enough to come back? I'm ashamed to come back. 
said, no, I'll give you a second chance. I'll give you another chance. We see this. Uh, I, I was thinking about an example as I thought about the movie Rudy, right? And you guys have seen the movie Rudy, right? Um, tell someone next to you if you saw it or not, all right? And if you've never seen it, I don't know who Rudy is. But see if you've seen it. Have you seen it, all right? Probably, it, for me, um, how many of you guys, it was like one of your favorites, like top 10, top 10, right? It was one of my, it's like my top five. I've watched it probably a dozen times. And then I read that some of it wasn't true, that which upset me, but I, I just still watch it anyways, right? Uh, but it's a, it's a great story, right? Little Rudy, the little guy, his dream is to go to Notre Dame. Not only that, he comes from this, um, you know, world where blue-collar hard workers, and it is, Notre Dame football is the pinnacle, and his dream was to play on the team. And his older brother's always ribbing him, you're not going to make it, you're not going to make it. And, you know, he, he studies hard in the junior college. He transfers into Notre Dame. He gets there. And the first day, they have walk-on tryouts for the practice squad, really. And Rudy goes out, and he goes out, and he, he joins the, 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 the tryouts. And he gets pummeled, right? The, the, even in the movie, it shows that he's just probably for us this average size, but these guys are huge. The Division one top of the country football players, huge guys, just running him over. Nine, at one point, get, knocking him out. He gets right back up. He jumps in. He falls down, gets right back up, jumps in. To the point the coaches and the players are starting to worry he's going to hurt himself. He says, don't worry, you know, coach, and he gets back in. And there's that scene at, at, at the locker room where the kind of the crusty, grumpy old coach, you know, pulls Rudy aside. Rudy, you know, you sure you want to be on the team? And he's like, yeah, coach. And, you know, it's one of the, the beautiful moments, right? He tells him all right, well, you better never be late to practice, and you better give 100%. Yeah, yeah, and then he walks off, and it kind of takes a second, and the light bulb, you know, goes on. He's, you mean I'm on the team? And he's hugging, and he's like, don't hug, get off me, you know, and he's, so, he's just so happy. And the whole movie is kind of this guy that gets this chance that he, he shouldn't have had, a chance as he was too small to have. He wasn't fast enough. He, you know, it was this story. He plays his heart out. So this is us going to God is someone who is saying, Man, I got a chance. I'm so grateful I got another chance. This is Israel saying, I know we messed up and we built that thing. We broke the law and you're giving us another chance. It's a positive story. It's a story of gratitude and that's really our lives. And it says to walk with God. And in verse 12, I want to highlight verse 12 for us today. What are we supposed to do? We know what God did on the cross for us. We received so much. We're receiving his grace. What am I supposed to do? And there's these four parts I want to highlight for us this day in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God, first of all. Fear him. When we read the words, to fear the Lord your God, um, what, do we, what does fear mean there? Well, fear means to be afraid. It means what it's translated as. It means to be afraid. It means to take God really seriously. It means to say and to understand how big God really is. To have a correct perspective of God. Fear him. We could argue that in our day and age, the fear of God is gone. And the way people behave, don't they fear God? Are they afraid of God? We're so into, in our culture, man, trying to make God appealing that we want to take the fear out of it. But we have to fear God. And if you grew up in a home... Um, like I did, and I know a lot of us did, where, you know, you have mom who was kind of the everyday little disciplinarian, like the little things. But then when dad, you know, they say, oh, you really messed up. Dad's going to come home. And some of us have been through that. Oh, don't, you know, don't, please don't tell dad. You know, like, wait till dad comes home. 
My dad gets home at six. I'm going to tell him what you did. Please, please don't. You know, and, and there's this fear, right, um, in a respectful way. And the first thing he says is to fear God. Let's have a perspective that God is great and we are not. That God is, is God and I'm not. And so we have to understand this. God is not someone that I can go to when I feel like. God is not someone that I can go and doubt or question, will you help me? Can you help me? Do you have enough? It, it, he's not someone like that. God is great. And so when we come before God, we have to say, God, I come to you trembling. The angels come to God trembling. The earth trembles before God. I tremble before God in this way. The covenant language continues, right? To fear the Lord, your God. He's still your God. The second thing we're told here is to walk in all his ways. Right? To walk in all his ways. Let's repeat that underlying part out loud together. One, two, three. To walk in all his ways. This is far different from saying, God, I'm going to go this way. God, can you just help me out along the way? God, I've already picked my path, but can you just you know, drop some money along the way, you know, like it would be great for to just get some bonus along the way. God, can you help me in this way? This is me saying, God, which way are you going? Because it tells us it's his way. Which way are you going? What's the direction you're going? Can I now follow after you? This is his path. This is where he's going. And we're ought to go in all of his ways. Not some, but all. The third thing we're told to do is interesting, right? is to love him. Let's read that underlying part together. One, two, three. To love him, right? It's interesting that the command here is to love. You know, religion says you, there's a list of do's and don'ts. The Pharisees dealt with the do's and the don'ts. Jesus tells us what the greatest command is to love God. Love him. Love him. You know, yesterday I had a, a, the joy of officiating a marriage and I have a... a Appreciate another wedding today in the afternoon. And, um, you know, I, I could go on and on and tell people um, what they ought to do. Guys, this is how you're supposed to behave. And gals, this is what you're supposed to do. You know, cook him something once in a while that he likes and make sure you take care of her. How many rules can we go through? Yeah, I, I could spend an hour, but, you know, at the wedding, everyone wants the sermon to be short, right? So, you know, I was like, just love each other, all right? Let's talk later. Um, hopefully we don't even have to talk, right? That means things are going well. Um, but we see that. Uh, to love him. We grow to love someone because we spend our every day with them. We spend time with them. Uh, we walk with them. And then we grow to love them. You know, I've been to so many weddings in my life already. And I've been to weddings where they've spent six figures in extravagant places. And I've been to weddings where, you know, they had, um, you know, all sorts of decorations and musicians and all elaborate things. And I tell every couple, a lot of you, I've done your wedding. You remember we had this talk. It's not the wedding that really matters. It's the marriage. It's not if the music played on time or if the food tasted right. What matters is your day-to-day -day stuff. What matters is how you live after that. You love each other in this way. And the fourth thing that we're told here is to serve him. Let's read the underlying part out loud together. One, two, three, go. To serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. You see the word all. Your, mentioned, your God, your heart, your soul. With all of it. To serve someone. What does it mean to serve God? Well, you go to a restaurant. A restaurant that has waiters and waitresses. Servers. 
A good server is someone that shows up. A good server is someone that takes your order and brings what you wanted. They listen to you. What is it you want? They write it down, and they get it to you at a prompt time. A bad server is someone that says, well, I'm on break now. Right? You get that, right? I'm on break now, um, so Junior here is going to help you, but he doesn't know what he's doing. But, you know, eh, I'm on break. Or someone that even says to you, and we've all been there where we try to get someone's attention, like, you're not my station. So they just walk off, right? You're like, are you kidding me? You, you know, you're wearing the same thing. Just help me out, right? Um, and I'm the person, I, I, I just go grab a pitcher of water. I'll serve it. I'll just grab my own napkins because I'm kind of impatient, you know. But I still have to give them the tip, right? Um, it's kind of unfair. But anyways, uh, you know, you think about the service. So for me to go and serve God, what does that mean? Saying, okay, I have to know what he wants. God, what do you want? And I have to do this. And I have to do it in a way that we would describe with all your heart, with all your soul. And how many of us can really describe anything else in life that we do with all our heart, with all our soul? Work, I don't know, maybe. Um, yeah, maybe, man, when it comes to play, you know, when it comes to something fun, yeah, maybe. But to serve God, he says, don't do it half-hearted. Don't do it complaining. Don't do it as if you are too busy to do these things. You do it with all your heart and with all your soul. And I have no problems. And I, I tell our staff, I tell pastors of other churches, yeah, don't have any hesitation asking someone to serve the Lord. They're not doing you a favor. They're not doing me a favor. They're serving the Lord. And so even at our church, when people are good at something, you know, hey, you know, Brother Joe who made the video, hey, you're good at making videos, make a video for us or take pictures for us or, or play music for us and lead us in this way or do the numbers for us or whatever it is. If you're good, we have no problem with this. And if you are doing this, do it with all your heart, with all your soul. If your job is to open your house once a week, then open it up and have it ready. And to give in this way and to serve in this way, it is so important. You know, I look back in my 20s and 30s and, um, you know, really spent that. You know, it started with wanting to serve in the church, as a lot of us have, you know, and loving the church and it turned into a calling. And I, I look back and there's no regrets. I don't look back and say, gosh, I, I wish I would have done less when I was in my 20s. Because what I did then, I can't do now. It's kind of weird, but I used to get invited to speak at a lot of youth, like, retreats and events. And it kind of just stopped. I don't know when the cutoff was, but I realized once, I was like, I haven't got invited in the whole, like, last, you know, whenever, right? Even for our youth group, I have to kind of, I think I have to invite myself to go over. I mean, you know, it ends. The time ends. The energy goes. The, the time goes. And so if you are serving in some capacity, you know God is telling you to do something for someone in the church, outside the church, whatever it is. Man, be there and do this with all enthusiasm and all your strength. You know, this last um, couple of weeks, I was reading uh, a biography on Eric, um, Eric Liddell. And Eric Liddell uh, is someone that many of us know. Um, he had a, there was a movie about him called Chariots of Fire back in the 80s. Uh, some of you might not have been around, right? But um, I think it was 83, they made the movie about him. Uh, he was an Olympic gold medalist. Eric Liddell, he ran for his country for a Great Britain, and he was a track star. Um, and he won the gold medal. And the story became famous in, in Chariots of Fire because he was, his strength was a 100-meter dash, and 
it was on a Sunday, and he, was, he decided to go to church, not run the Olympic race, and it was this big thing, a compromise for him and between him and God, and so he didn't. And, um, you know, so it was like, wow. And then he ended up running the 400, which was not his strength, and he got a bad uh, lane placement and everything, but he ended up winning, and he gives glory to God. And people love that. And this whole moral of the story is not like, oh, you shouldn't run on Sunday, but it's about someone that lived with purpose for something greater. Um, and the story goes that in 1924, he wins the gold medal in Paris. Gold medal in the 400, a bronze medal in the 200. Uh, two events he never really was training for. That was not his thing. But he wins. But he was born in China um, as a missionary's kid. And his whole goal in life was to be a missionary. His parents sent him off to go to boarding school for him and his son, which a lot of missionaries did at the time. And when he went to school, he excelled in sports. He was just naturally gifted. He was the fastest kid in school. He would run. He would play rugby. He was the best at everything. And then he moved up the ranks and ended up on the Olympic team. 1924, he wins the gold. He has the whole world at his fingertips. He could do whatever he wants, go wherever he wants. He could have whatever his heart's desire. Imagine a young man winning the gold medal. And it is 1925, he returns back to China. One year later, he studies and he goes back, and he goes back and he starts doing the work of a missionary. He starts teaching at the local school, teaching the college students. He starts learning the language, uh, fellowshipping with the people. He meets his wife there eventually. Um, and they get married. And they go back and forth. And the story goes where he goes back to China and he spends his life there and he dies there at the premature age of 43. He goes there at the prime of his life, he spends it, and Japan invades China. Japan invades China and takes over the city where he is at. And the college is shut down, all the foreigners are gathered, and they're placed in an internment camp. And he was placed in there. And what he did on the track pales in comparison to what he did while he was imprisoned. You know, there are stories about him, Eric Metaxas, uh, talks about some of the stories. One person remembers a guy named uh, Stephen Metcalf. At age 17, he was one of the foreigners who were in this internment camp, and his shoes had all worn out, and the soles were all gone, and his foot would touch the, the dirt as they would walk. And uh, Eric Liddell knew about this. And he one day, in a bundled-up package, went over to Stephen and said, Hey, young man, take this. And the 17-year-old recalls how he opens it up and in it were his personal track shoes that he ran in. His Olympic shoes, these shoes he was going to hand down to his kids. And he gave it to him. He says, you could make better use of this. And he gives him shoes. Uh, the story of him loving and caring for people, helping people get along, goes on and on and on. You know, in 1945, in February, he, he suffered these bad headaches, and he ends up dying. Goes into a coma, and he dies at the age of 43. And the stories come out now about when he dies. All the people, when they hear in this camp, for days, they say, the biographer says that they were just a sense of shock and silence, especially amongst the kids, because the kids all loved him so much. In his memorial service, uh, A.P. Cullen, one of his friends, speaks of him and says, he was literally God-controlled. His thoughts, judgments, actions, words, God-controlled. Metaxas, in his uh, short biography, talks about him, and he says, no matter how busy he was, Eric never neglected his daily time with God. 
Each morning, Eric and his friend Joe Cotterill woke early and quietly pursued their devotions together by the light of a peanut oil lamp before beginning a long day of work. Every day. And there are stories about him that go on and on, and the last words that he had said to the person that was visiting him was, it's all complete surrender. Speaking of his life to God, it's all complete surrender. Just recently, before the Olympics in Beijing, the Chinese government had told the family, and the family didn't know, 63 years after he had died, they told him that he was on a list with Great Britain and they were going to have a, a prisoner exchange. And he was on, his name was on the list. He was supposed to get out. He wasn't supposed to go to the internment camp. He was supposed to be sent because he was someone who was looked upon very favorably. He was a gold medalist. He was supposed to go. But he gave up his spot because there was a pregnant woman next to him and let her go instead of him. They found this out recently. And here is someone who did these spectacular things. And you look at someone like this as a heroic figure. But it is not so much that one day he was born with courage or because he just had it one day or he just mustered up the courage out of the blue. He walked with God daily. And his daughters, uh, many of them uh, write and they share about him, but they all say his success was not just winning the gold medal. His success is the way he lived after God. And if you want to be spectacular, let's not define our lives by the little things, the little exciting things that happen that we think are so important. Let's not define our lives by the graduations and the achievements and so on and so forth. But let's define it by the way we walk with God every day. That our whole life would be a success before God. And if God is calling you to serve him, to love him, Whatever it is he's calling you to, let's do it with all our heart, with all our soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for second chances. Lord God, we, we have received chances over and over from you. And God, we want to walk with you. We want to learn that truth. So God, would you help us to learn that truth? Heavenly Father, would you help us to walk with you? And Lord, let our lives not be dictated by few big spectacular events, but Lord, let it be dictated by the daily walk that we have with you. I pray for our dear people here, your beloved church, that we would love you in this way every day. So that is our prayer. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.